Hey, good to see all of you, and um, we're excited to uh, celebrate God's gift to us in through our mothers, and uh, we're just grateful. Um, and so we do celebrate that today and recognize that, and the things we celebrate are the things that we value, right? And so um, we definitely value moms and uh, uh, all of our earthly mothers um, that we have. You know, today we get in a um, section of the text where it talks about how bad speech can be, how bad the tongue is. And now, I don't have to convince us of this. All of us are saying, yeah, I know. I've said things I've regretted. Um, I've been on the receiving end of harmful words and um, harmful words, and it has um, uh, hurt my life and so on. And so all of us know that this is true. Right? We all know this, so I don't have to convince us, but today what we look at is these descriptions, this four-part uh, description of the tongue. And I hope it would be a reminder for us, and then what we should do about it, what we should be doing about it, the one thing that we ought to be doing. About it. So these four parts, and then the what do I do, right? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, there's just a, a verse I want to just take a few minutes and highlight before we jump into our regular outline. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, um, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Some of you know this. I've had people, several people over the years come to me and say, this is why I don't want to be a teacher. This is why I don't do Sunday school. Like, I'll, I'll sing or I'll welcome people, but I don't teach because of this. I don't want to get to the doors of heaven and then just, you know, I don't want to get, get it, right? And, um, but I hope that this would be an encouragement, not a discouragement. Um, during the culture of the day, uh, especially for the, the Jewish audience that would have read the book of James, um, the most respected person in their world was the rabbi. We, we translate it teacher here today, but the word rabbi means great one. So you can already imagine what that would do to a person's uh, self-esteem. When they're always continually being called great one. Oh, rabbi, oh, great one. And uh, moms with little boys would say, I hope you grow up and you would become a great one or a rabbi. And so the young people would all try to outdo each other because the rabbi who was eloquent, the rabbi who had new insights, the rabbi that could attract the crowd, boy, their influence was the biggest. They were the most famous people. They were the rock stars of the day. And so you can imagine them now as these Jewish people are coming to Christ, they still have that mindset. But James himself is a teacher, in the church. And so he's saying it's not a bad thing, but there is something you ought to think twice before you do this. I love the story that uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks tells. Uh, Howard Hendricks was a, a professor at Dallas Seminary years ago. The late Howard Hendricks, he taught on leadership often, and he taught on um, the value of Sunday school and how to teach and so on. Impacted millions of uh, Probably I could say millions, I mean hundreds of thousands of people uh, in the Christian world. Uh, but anyways, he tells a story. He was speaking at a Sunday school teacher's conference. He was the plenary speaker, one of the main speakers. And so he did a session, and he goes to have lunch with a few of his colleagues. Um, and they're in line to grab their lunch, and behind them is a, uh, an, el an elderly woman. And she's wearing a badge, right? She's wearing her badge that she's, from the, uh, she's an attendee at the conference. So he invites her, hey, well, you should join us. You know, are you alone? You should join us for lunch. So the four of them now sit down for lunch, and he gets to meet her. Uh, he finds out that she is older. She is, he thought, in her 60s, but she was 83. 
Um, and so he gets to, they get to know her and they ask her, so, so tell us, you know, what you're doing here. And she's an 83-year-old. She says, I took the Greyhound bus overnight and I got here. I wanted to learn something new. I want to be a better Sunday school teacher. With that, they're already impressed. And then they ask her, well, what do you teach? And he's assuming that uh, she's teaching a bunch of grandmothers, you know, tea and knitting and some Bible study or whatever it is. She, he's picturing something like that. And uh, she says to his uh, shock, he says, I teach junior high boys, right? Can you imagine that? 83 years old, teaching junior high boys. The most difficult people on this planet are junior high boys, as we know, as some of you have, right? But they will one day grow up to be men, right? But anyways, uh, so she teaches them. Um, so he is so impressed, he befriends her, uh, gets to know her, and then he finds out later on that she had passed away. Um, one of the reports that he got that impressed him so much, and he mentioned this, is that she um, taught junior high boys for decades. And from her junior high class over the years, that class produced 80 pastors. They counted, it was 80 of them became pastors, right? And so I share that with you that this would be an encouragement. Those of you who teach and serve, we're so grateful for you all. Those of you who run around with the jerseys on and who spend a, a good chunk of time on Sunday to, to you know, help the next generation. Don't let this be a discouragement, but man, man, I'm making a difference. Right? And to continue to do this, that, yeah, it is a serious task. You're not babysitting or you're not just filling in a little. This is serious. God takes you very seriously in this role. And so if you lead a community group, if you teach kids or youth, continue. And if you ever felt like you were too old, right, think of the 83-year-old grandmother and say, well, I got a lot of time to go. So with that said, he now says, those of you who are so uh, impressed by someone who's eloquent, those of you who want the spotlight, you want to be heard, and all of this, he says, let me tell you. And he gives us a lesson from verse 2 all the way to the end of our reading. And he uses illustration after illustration. This is, I think, why James is probably one of the, if not the most favorite book of all people. Because there are pictures and illustrations, and he uses horses and, and boats, and he uses fire, and he uses streams of water. I mean, he uses everything to get his point across. So you walk away saying, I remember this. And so what does he tell us about the tongue? The first thing he tells us is that all of us stumble in our speech. Eh, the word stumble in there, it could mean we sin, we mess up, we say bad things, dumb things, hurtful things, things we ought not to say. Things we might tell a first grader, oh, you shouldn't say that. Things we might tell that first grader, oh, you know, that's a bad word, you shouldn't say that. He says, it's all of us. So that's the first thing. All of us have this problem. So some of us came today. Some of you might have come to church and you saw the bulletin, you saw the title, you said, oh my gosh, he needed to hear this, right? You know, I mean, there are messages like that, like, he needed to hear this. Is he here? He's not here today. He needed to hear this, or she needed to hear this. Right? I mean, she was gossiping all the time. She needs to hear this. And she's not here, right? Or maybe, I hope she came to first service. You know, and so we have these thoughts. But this is for us. So this is not just for the extrovert that have more to say, the life of the party, or, you know, someone who is older. No, this is for the young, the old, the introvert who's quiet and might just talk to one or two people at a time, the extrovert who talks to everyone. It doesn't matter. It's for everyone. And he says, this is the warning. He says in verse 2, for we all, using the first person plural, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. 
also, you know, Abel also to bridle his whole body. He is a perfect man. You know, that phrase, that description of the perfect man is used in James before in chapter 1, verse 4. That the trials we endure, if you go through the hardships, it makes a, produces a perfect man. So the whole idea of the perfect man, it can be translated a mature person. Spiritually mature. So we're all in the process of what theologians call sanctification. We are all maturing as we go. And some of us have had our parents, and over the years, when they hit their 60s, when they hit their 70s, we've seen them continue to grow in Christ. And so it's a process for all of us. But he says, no one is perfect, including himself. We all stumble. And so this includes all of us, right? The second truth about the tongue and, is that it is small yet powerful. Words do break bones, right? The pen is more powerful than the sword. I mean, it is true. It says in verse 3, he uses uh, two illustrations of a horse and of a ship. And he says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they... So that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. We could turn them, we could speed them up, we could slow them down. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a small, a very small rudder, um, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Um, what he is saying here is something so small can control the rest. It moves the rest, this picture of a boat being controlled by a rudder. I remember years back, I, uh, Sharon and I, I take her, and this I think we were like pre-engagement or engaged, she'll tell me after, but uh, something like that. We weren't married, and I came up with this plan, and we went to Santa Barbara for a day trip to go on a romantic sunset Sailboat ride. Now, only engaged people do stuff like this. All the married people, they don't do stuff like this, right? Where we're too far to been there, done that. But it was like, oh, it's going to be nice. So we drive all the way to Santa Barbara to get on a boat, sailboat. Um, probably one of my only times I've been on a sailboat, and we go on a sunset cruise. And I remember being very impressed because the wind is blowing this way, and we're going. And we're going along, and I thought, wow, this is going well. But I had this little concern that, how are we going to get back? Right? There was no motor. There were no paddles. How are we going to go out? But how are we coming back? Because the wind's blowing this way. And some of you know a lot better than I do about sailing. But he angles it a certain way and turns the rudder a certain way. And we're going into the wind. And we get back. There's the power there. And that's what the picture he has. That a very small rudder could change the direction of a ship. And the words that are spoken can change the trajectory of someone's life, can literally save someone's life. Some of us have heard words, negative words, growing up, and it has impacted us, and there is a belief in us that I can't do anything. I, I am worthless, because someone kept telling me those words. And some of us, we've heard the other words, where, man, you can do this, you were born to do this, you ought to go do this, and we say, boy... I'm going to try this. And it has changed where we ended up in life because of the words. And that's exactly what he's saying. The big horse that is changing directions from the bit. The big boat where the rudder adjusts the directions. So the words have that kind of power. It is uh, 
noted that at the uh, Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C., they have a display of some of the articles that President Abraham Lincoln had on him the time that he was assassinated. And so they have it on display. What did he have on him when he was assassinated? One of the things that they found in his pocket was a worn out newspaper clipping which celebrated his accomplishments as president. And there was a clipping of it said, Abe Lincoln is one of the greatest statesmen of all time. Abe Lincoln is one of the greatest statesmen of all time. And the conclusion is that Abraham Lincoln, the great leader, that we study in all of history probably was the most pivotal time in this country's history. You can imagine there was no easy way out. Every decision he made, there was a problem. There was a disagreement. And everyone is criticizing him, as you would imagine that office to be. And that he needed this word. He needed to be reminded that he's here, that he was voted in, that people supported him. Because I'm sure there were times even he himself questioned his ability, his intelligence, his decisions for this, right? The second thing is, yeah, it's powerful. Uh, the tongue is powerful for positive or negative, right? But the, the number three we see is that the tongue is destructive, and it can be destructive. So we see, yeah, it is powerful, and it is, thirdly, is powerful enough to destroy. So all of us deal with this. Secondly, it has power. Thirdly, it is destructive, uh, it says in verse 5, and he uses a, now an illustration, James uses the illustration of a forest fire. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I mean, he is very direct. And he is very serious about the sin that comes from people's mouths. He doesn't put it in softer words. It's a fire set by hell. It is like a small fire that burns down acres and acres. You know, every summer we experience this. Uh, through the driest parts, and we who live in Southern California, we deal with this in the news, and sometimes it's gotten pretty close. Some of us have actually evacuated. But, you know, when they find out where the source was, Usually, it's something very small. You know, there were sparks from a truck, and an ember flew from that and caught somewhere. Or someone was smoking, and they threw the cigarette butt. Or something very small, something we could just stomp out with our own feet. And yet, it will burn acres and acres into these numbers. We can't even imagine hundreds and thousands of acres. It has that kind of power. It's interesting, there was an article... Uh, titled The Most Dangerous Word in the World. The researchers, uh, Dr. Andrew Newberg and Mark Waldman, um, did a study. So what they did was they were scanning people's brains, their subjects' brains, and they would flash certain words in front of them, and they wanted to see the reaction of the brain to the words. And they said the most dangerous word or the most harmful word was the word no, right? No. And so they would wire them up, and they would flash this word in front of them for a few seconds, take it away, and then they would watch the reaction of the brain after they saw the word no. And I quote some of this technical stuff, but he says that um, 
The flash of the word no for no less than one second, you see a sudden release of dozens of stress-producing hormones and tra uh, neurotransmitters. Um, these chemicals immediately interrupt the normal functioning of your brain, impairing logic, reason, language processing, and communication. Just from that word no. No, you can't. No, you're not able to. No, you're no good. And to hear those words, we have a physical reaction to it. It has that kind of power, just from a one second look at a flashcard. And they would do the same with positive words. They would use words like peace, love. And they said, you know, that uh, uh, it would strengthen areas in our frontal lobes, promoting the brain's cognitive functioning. They propel the motivational centers of the brain into action. And that's why these phrases sometimes, you know, that are on our screensaver or on the wall at work, you know, something from Abraham Lincoln or John Wooden or something motivational, it has a little effect on us every time we see it. That is the power of the word. So a negative word, you're putting someone down, hurtful words, you can imagine the damage it does to that person and especially if they are children. Many of us still carry the scars from decades ago, from certain words and things that we've heard. So what are we to do, right? And the fourth thing is, here's the problem. He says, none of you could tame this. So today's sermon is not a five-point technique on how to tame your tongue. Right? You all have good techniques, and you might have learned that work um, through a friend or a book, and, you know, boy, think three seconds before you say it. Is it honest? Is it, you know, you know whatever it is, careful? Is it, is it hurtful? And you might have thought about all these things. But no one could really tame it, the Bible says. The picture we get, he says, those who try to just control the outside, and this is one of our church um, commitments, right? It's not just about the external, it's about an internal change. It's not behavior modification. Come to church, don't do this and address this way. I know. The illustration is wonderful. He says, it's not like you can get a stream of water coming from a pond, and one part of it is salt and one is fresh. It's not like a fig tree, but it's a fig tree, but then when you look at it, there's olives on it or grapes on it, or a grapevine, and there's figs on it. He says it doesn't work that way. Those are external things you are placing. He says what's the problem is the source of where these words come from. And so the techniques are fine, but he says that doesn't solve the issue. Because we all say things. You know, the words people have said, and we see in the news today, have ruined their reputations, have actually cost people their you know, relationships, their careers, and these are powerful people because of the things that they've said behind the scenes, in public, things that they have put on uh, social media that have gotten out. Right? And we see this. So no one could control it. And we look and say, gosh, what's wrong with them? Why would they say that? How can they say that? But he says that's just part of our sin nature. And this is what it says here. All right. Uh, every uh, kind of beast, bird, reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So what should we do? And we get to that picture. It is the source. We've got to get to the source. And this is our one practical thing. We have to get to the source. Jesus tells us in Matthew 15, 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. 
What comes out of the mouth, it proceeds from the heart. It's a heart issue. So cleaning, you know, with soap someone's mouth. No, we have to clean the heart. And this is where the gospel message is so different than any motivational speech or any Tony Robbins speech or uh, any other religious speech that's talking about your actions. This is the gospel changes the heart. Uh, The Bible in Ezekiel talks about God taking a heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. David in Psalm 51, after he commits adultery, prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God. It's the heart. And back to this, these two, in verse 10 through 12, these two illustrations. So can a spring from the same source give fresh water and salt water? No, of course not. He says in verse 12, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond, uh, salt pond yield fresh water. He says, if you work on just the externals, you're just attaching stuff onto it. And if we at the church just talk about techniques and things you ought to do, ought not to do, and um, we're just attaching fake fruit on the outside. But what, where words come from is from the heart. I heard a pastor um, sharing this um, several times uh, about a time where he went to a family dinner. And he said when all the extended family got together that he um, just didn't want to be there. You know, and he said it was one of those where no one really wanted to be there, but they would go. And uh, he says one particular dinner he remembers. He says all the kids were there, the aunts and uncles and everyone were there. One of the uncles um, obviously started drinking way too early, drinking way too much, started losing control. And he started saying all sorts of inappropriate things. And there were kids around. He was saying, making sexual jokes and inappropriate jokes and so on. And um, it was his... Uh, mom's brother and uh, he says he remembers right and this is a Paul trip by the way we went to his marriage conference I think he shared it there and he shared it elsewhere but he says he remembers his mom picking him up literally his feet were almost dangling on the ground and just taking the boys him and his brother out into the car said we're leaving this dinner and the mom paused and had this lesson for them and he still talks about it in his uh, I think he's in his 60s and he and he said what he is saying is all the stuff that's been in his heart. It's not the alcohol's making him say that. It's all the stuff that's been in his heart. And he's just saying it now. We have to watch what is in our hearts. Right? And I think it is so true. Right? The Bible talks about this in so many ways. And so we as a people of God, we have to say, what am I going to put in my heart? Right? Um, how am I going to now keep the source cleaner. In order to put things into our heart, we have to talk less and listen more. Psalm 119, uh, 11. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see the correlation? God's word's in my heart, and that'll help me. That changes the source. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We as people who are filled with thankfulness in our hearts to God, 
uh, no longer have things to complain about or gripe about. We're filled with thanksgiving. And so what I want to say to us is, is man, the, what Christ does is he gives us a new heart. And then he gives us his word. And in order to read, in order to hear, we have to quiet our mouths and we have to read. And we have to take this in. And I want to encourage us to take this in. Before you work on the techniques, just take this in and what is in the heart. I close with this uh, quote from Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, professor of philosophy at USC, impacted so many Christians. He talks about the American Christian. He says, there is nothing that requires more energy for the typical American Christian than the discipline to do nothing. The hardest thing you can get anyone to do is to do nothing. We are addicted to our world, addicted to talk. Talk is the primary way we have of managing our image for ourselves and for others. He says we're addicted to talking. We're addicted to words. And it's the primary way we have of managing our image in this way. You know, a couple um, years ago, I spent two weeks at Regent Seminary. And... Uh, um, studying, but I was there alone. Yeah, it was just an exp- interesting experience because the whole time I'm listening because I was listening to the podcast, I was listening to talk radio, I listened to the professors. But there's no one to talk to except for lunch and dinner time. And that was a one sentence, can I have your special? You know, and it was a, that was it. And I think I was probably calling my wife and kids um, Unnatural, you know, like, oh, what are you doing? Like, hey, we're busy. Like, just go study or something, you know. And, uh, but it's a time where it was really difficult, but at the same time, it makes you have some clarity. Um, it it, it kind of makes things simple for us. I want to encourage us uh, to spend more time filling your hearts with the right things. And when it is filled up to the top, let the goodness overflow and you have power over people moms and dads you have power in your words use them at your work use them to your uh, Christian brothers and sisters use them those of you that teach Sunday school use them it is a powerful thing and as we continue let us continue to hate the sin that comes from us and ask God to continually change us now let's pray Thank you, Lord, for um, your words. Thank you, God, for our capacity to learn, to hear, to read, and all those good things. God, help us take it in. Help our hearts to be filled with goodness, with thanksgiving, so that we would um, produce fruit, produce water that is fresh. God, help us to do that. Uh, We repent as a whole for the words that we have said. comments that we have made. God, teach us day by day. Help us to mature. God, help us to hate this as James did here. So we thank you for your grace uh, that changes us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.